you know, I say often like companies want to hire you for what you did, not what you want to do. They want to know that like, they want to de-risk it, that you're good. So it's like, you do exactly what I'm looking for. And that 99.9% .9 of the time, once the person starts the job, they do something totally different. But in the job search process, in the sales process, you need to present as the solution to their problem. And I think for a lot of people, they feel like they're losing a piece of themselves because they're not saying all the cool things they do, but it's counterintuitive, it actually hurts them. Tap into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. Hey, what is up? Welcome to episode 55. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this is the first time you're tuning in, hit subscribe and you'll get notified each week when there's a new episode. I get to chat with social entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are doing some really good stuff in the world. So if that's something that interests you, make sure you hit subscribe. And thank you to all those who tune in every single week. You are the best, thank you so much. And if you're looking for a new career and one that brings some meaning to your life, then go over to goodgigs.app. We have on average 150 to 200 new positions, full-time, freelance, remote, with mission-driven companies doing some really cool stuff in the world. So go over there and sign up for the weekly job alert. On this episode, I got to chat with Dave Fano, who is the founder and CEO of Teal, an incredible community and suite of tools that helps job seekers with the whole searching process. We talk about how he came up with the idea. He was previously the head of growth at WeWork. As you can imagine, he also has some incredible advice for job seekers when you're looking at how to network, how to find new leads, your resume, your CV. There are so many good takeaways in this episode. You're gonna love it. So let's jump into my chat with with Dave Fenner. Dave, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Can't complain. And thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because I, I love what you're building over there with Teal. I've shared it with the Good Gigs community. It's a incredible tool that helps job seekers organize and manage their whole job search. We'll jump into exactly what it does. But first, I want to talk about your career story because you started off in architecture, if I'm correct. And the last role you had before you started Teal was the chief growth officer at WeWork. Can you tell us a little more about that career path? Yeah, and it's it's part of what I think has drawn me to building Teal is when I left WeWork, I kind of had a minute, a combination of things came together, a fairly aggressive employment agreement and having a child that gave me time to think and not do anything. <laughs> right. And I did kind of reflect on my 
career history. And, you know, it started with, I was a pretty creative kid. I liked art and drawing. I liked collecting comic books. I bought them all for the pictures. You know, like anyone who grew up when I did, we have lots of these like perfectly overprinted image comics, but I liked the art and that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be a comic book artist. My dad said that wasn't a real job. He was a builder. I had worked with in construction, being a construction estimator, you know, doing whatever, you know, he, he barely graduated community college. He was just a, a hustler immigrant who just worked hard. And so that, you know, that wasn't a real job. I went to talk to my high school guidance counselor and she, I, I told her I wanted to do like these really cool car drawings that have like the thick lines, you know, like what gets done near where you live in Pasadena at the school of design. And she told me that that was called mechanical engineering. She was wrong. I would, I would now would know that that's now it's called industrial design. And I came home and told my dad and he's like, mechanical engineering. Those are like the people that make like engines and stuff. He's like, that's not that just, go get a real job, like go do architecture. And I was like, all right, fine. I guess that's kind of like in the middle <laughs> of like art and it's a real job. So I went and studied architecture and, and I really liked it. I was able to, I went to FIU, which is a great school in Miami that was doing some cool things. It was quite innovative for being a commuter school. They were doing, making a lot of investments in it. And they had these, you know, this one instructor named Kevin Smith that like taught a lot of very cool 3D things. And so I started to take those classes. I took a class on how to code in VRML. I took a 3D modeling in AutoCAD, which is archaic at this point. I learned 3D Studio Max and I got really into 3D. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Because actually one of the things I did in high school, my uncle gave me my first computer. My dad thought computers were stupid at the time. And he gave me, he was a graphic designer. So I had Photoshop. He gave me a scanner. I was digitally coloring my comic books. And so I like, I really got into the technological part of it. And then, you know, fast forward a bit, I, I ended up getting into grad school at Columbia that had a really phenomenal digital architecture program. Uh, and it was at a time where sort of computational design was really taking off. And there was this, like a sort of small faction of like avant-garde architects that focused on paperless architecture, they called it, which was really exciting to me because I was like, ah, this is my chance. I'm going to go do movie sets. I don't ever want, I didn't want to be an architect anyway. But while I was there, I got really enamored with the bits to bricks problem. And we set up a digital fabrication class. So I learned about CNC milling, 3D printing. And I was like, okay, this is very cool where you can like virtually build things and then they, they become real. And like, I became right. fascinated by this problem of the ultra precision of this digital thing with the messiness of this physical thing. So I, I spent a lot of time on that, you know, still at the intersection of technology and buildings and like inching my way towards pure technology. Went and worked at a very cool architecture firm, met really two really good friends. We started a consulting business because architecture just like didn't operate at a pace for me. It takes like 10 years to build a building. I was like, no thanks. Right. And I had started a couple things with friends. We had like a web development. I did like soccer mom websites, soccer parent, <laughs> I should say, websites. And so like Dreamweaver, I was learning all sorts of stuff, Flash. I just love technology. So anyways, at, at, at Columbia, I met my instructor, this job, a job at this firm called Shop, which is a really awesome architecture firm. They we're really sitting at the intersection of digital technologies and, and building and a lot of par parametric modeling, scripting, very cool things. Met two super good friends. We started a company called Case that focused on helping firms leverage technology better because I had just kind of seen how broken the building industry was. But it really became about like, how can we make these things like products for people? Because at the end of the day, there's too much like fetishization of like the building and the artifact. And it's like, well, that really doesn't matter. It's like, what about the people on the inside? WeWork became one of our larger clients along the way. You know, they were founding right around that time. We also started a tech startup called Who Buy You, which was local social search to help people come together around services. We, you know, in the building industry, a lot of it's word of mouth. So we started both those companies at the same time. 
A case ended up doing fairly well. Who by you? Not so well. You know, we did this in 2007, 2008. It was kind of like Yelp four square time. Yeah. So we did a lot of work with WeWork. We started working with them like in 2012, 2011, did a lot of their infrastructure. They ended up pretty much buying like all of our services, software development, implementation, strategy. I was almost like embedded in the firm. They, you know, they attempted to acquire us a few times and we're like, no, we think our consulting business is going to be way better than your rinky co-working business. And lo and behold, like they really started to take off. They were adding a ton of buildings and we just said, hey, this we're going to be able to have the impact that we want if we go join them and be on the kind of owner side and really control like where we make investments in this really broken industry. And uh, yeah, so we were there and, you know, I could go on. I feel like I've been talking for a while here, but like we work, I got to do a lot of different things. It was a really wonderful experience, was given a lot of responsibility, got to help grow teams and see like the complexities of what it what it's like to grow your career in a fast growing large organization. And that kind of like opened my eyes to, you know, kind of the lack of infrastructure for the consumer on managing your career. And, you know, a few experiences for myself going through that, you know, managing an employment agreement, leaving severance, all, all sorts of very complex and very scary things. And that, that's not, and they didn't do anything wrong. They did whatever a professional organization should do and they treated everything properly. It's just kind of the, the investment's not there, right? Companies can write things off, consumers can't. And so there's just like a lot of systemic challenges to making cost accessible career infrastructure. And so anyways, got really excited about that problem and I'm working on that now. So how did that ideation period come about? So you had that idea or you saw that potential problem when you were at WeWork, you left WeWork. What did that time frame look like when you started to then realize, huh, there could be something here that's Let's work on it. So the last year that I was at WeWork, a big part of my effort was launching a business line called Powered by We, because people liked our design and they liked our spaces, but really what they liked was the energy of going into a WeWork right. and the culture and vibrancy that it created. And I thought, well, we don't have to force them to come to us. Why can't we go to them? That's like much lower capital. And then we're really affecting their culture holistically. It's like, hey, only the people that come to the WeWork get to have a good time and have a great, vibrant culture. The folks that stay back at the corporate jury headquarters stinks for you. And so I went deep into like, how can we help companies have incredible cultures? And I, I am a firm, firm believer that like when you find your work, it is an endless supply of energy. Sure, there's going to be tough times, but like if you can find the work that moves you, hopefully you can get paid for it. But that is fulfilling. It's energizing. And I just thought like everybody deserves that. And that's what I'm excited to help every company deploy across all of their real estate portfolio. And so I, you know, I started to dig into HR, culture, you know, what are the things that companies do to get employees engaged? And part of my, well, anyways, actually that, that's what I got super excited about. Did a lot of things around HR, started to like pitch HR people as, you know, we almost set up, we had like the beginnings of an HR consultancy to look at the org design and a lot of things that, that went it. into more than just the space. There's just a lot of complexities, right? There's like that person that brings stinky food. You don't want to sit next to them. You know, this is pre-COVID time, obviously. Everyone's sort of crammed right. together. So it's just like really a lot of complicated things. Like what does it mean about the culture when a person can or can't change their password on their computer? Like all these like micro interactions of culture that made it amazing. So I got obsessed with that problem. And actually when I, you know, when I, I left in April, we had our second child coming. I had sort of done four years there, done a lot of growth. There was a lot of things going on. Just kind of wasn't time for me to be there anymore. So I went and took my leave and throughout leave, I was just like thinking, I was like ready to get in. You know, we work with 16,000 people. That was incredible. The, the team I ran was 4,000. I was like, 
you know, this is like bigger than me now, you know, it's not really where I excel and like, it's just getting complicated. And so uh, I decided to, to bow out that process in and of itself was like complex was like, was stressful again, not because the company ever mistreated me. I think they, they were wonderful every step of the way, but it opened me up to like the psychological turmoil that we impose on ourselves Right. Because there is this like infrastructural disparity, right? Like companies got lawyers and finance departments and, you know, employment agreements and they've got, and they've got investors. So they have to do all these things, but you as an individual is like, what do you got? You know? And then luckily I made enough money that I could hire an employment lawyer and things like that. Again, I didn't need to, they didn't do anything that made me think I needed to do that. It's just like, you've got equity. Does it vest? It's just complicated. So you got to hire these experts. And that started to like plant the seeds of this just doesn't seem right. Like right's not even the right word. This seems off, I think is, you know, cause it's not about right and wrong. It just seemed off that a company has all these things and the individual really has nothing. I used to joke and you've got like a relative with a C title that can give you some advice or, you know, maybe some friend that works in HR. And that was me as an executive who could make enough money to hire an employment lawyer. And I had friends that could recommend an employment lawyer. A lot of people don't even know where to start. And so I said, technology is at a place right now that I should be able to make these decisions with confidence, with some kind of like, infrastructural connectivity that helps me make better decisions from the collective because I'm feeling a lot of stress about signing this employment agreement, but someone just signed it like five minutes before me. And I am pretty sure that that lawyer has read a version of this agreement before, but they're still charging me to read the whole thing. I was like, Mm -hmm. this just doesn't seem right. This, This is like making it inaccessible for people to take control of this thing that underpins so much of their life. So that was like the beginnings of it. And I said, technology can do this. Like I have so much faith in how technology can be so value adding to us. And there was a gap, there's nothing, right? A lot of the career stuff comes from the HR department. So so basically I walked away with, there needs to be an HR department for everyone. Yeah. I don't have like a belief that unions are the answer because I think, right? I believe like in a collective infrastructure, but as individuals, there's so many unique things that we want. And as knowledge workers, like the, the, you know, once you start to like, homogenize it to a core set of requirements for everybody. It gets really difficult because people really want different things. So I don't think that that, I think it had its place in time, but I didn't think for knowledge workers, that was the right answer. And it's pretty cool to see that some of those things are happening now. But I said, at the very least, what if we could have a collective infrastructure that gave people comp data to know what terms are fair, not fair. Again, fair, not fair is it's all relevant, relative, but like what's standard, what's not standard. Am I agreeing, Mm -hmm. agreeing to something that's like not normal or, Hey, this is pretty normal. And let me not fight that fight because it's kind of what the way it is. And so that was the beginnings of the idea. It's like, how, how can I build this? And I just thought about it for a long time. I, you know, I took a four month paternity leave. I, again, I was like very nervous that if I made anything like belonged to the company, they, again, they were super cool. Nothing ever like that ever happened, but those terms exist. And so I, in a weird way, it was a really wonderful forcing function for me to just sit and think. I couldn't make anything. I, 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 yeah, I didn't even like open Figma to make a wireframe. I just thought and I talked to people. I went to, I, you know, what I started to do was like, okay, could we do like business operations as a service for small startups? But then I, what I'd say was like the final thing that like pushed me to teal was at the end of the day, there's not much a company can do to give an individual a fulfilling career. Like mm-hmm. if, if the individual doesn't know what they want, the company can give, do everything. They can run great cultures. They can be super nice. They can give all sorts of perks. They can pay them well. But the person is not going to be happy because like they're not in control of the decisions they made and they're not doing the work that they want to do. And so I was like, I got to go to the consumer. Like I got to go to the individual and really help them take control of their career. And that I'd say was like when I said, okay, I got to build deal. 
how did you validate that idea, that intuition that you had that, you know, this could be something really helpful for the individual job seeker? So what I started to do was hang out with, well, I did, I wasn't sure job search was the thing. So I said, okay, there's this career thing. And then I just started to have lots of conversations around like when in the career, is there this moment for need? Again, I thought the consumer needed to pay directly. So I was like, where is this moment of really high pain that people will sort of open their wallet and invest in themselves? And kind of led me to job search. And what I started to do is just pitch people. I was pitching people a career concierge where I would essentially do their job search for them. Yeah. So I could really understand the pain of it. I would write the resume and like little by little it progressed. Like we, we, we would apply for people. Like we were doing everything. Wow. You know, it was a very different time. Our target persona was someone that I used to joke was unhappily employed. And not because, again, not because they're unhappy with the company. They're just like unhappy with the situation. They wanted growth. Maybe the company wasn't growing at the rate that they wanted to. And then they didn't have the time. And we were at record low unemployments at the time. Right? This was November of 2019. Things changed rather quickly. But, uh, you know, we were focused on that. And we, you know, we, we had, I don't know, 50, 60 people paying us like 200 bucks a month to manage their job search. It was like, you know, really hard work because we weren't automating anything at the time. We were using as much no-code stuff as we could, type forms and air tables and here. And, you know, if we did it again today, we'd have like so much more tooling. Uh, but the idea was to learn, like really be in there and see where are the pains? Like, do people want to customize a resume or do they not? What was their blockers to applying? We would source jobs for people and they'd be like, ah, I don't like this one for this reason. I, you know, I heard the CEO speak one time and it offended me. I was like, wow, would have never thought that that'd be a, why you wouldn't apply to that company. But okay, because on paper, it looks so obvious. So we learned a ton. And we did that for a while. We helped a bunch of people land jobs and then COVID hit and, you know, everything kind of changed. And we said this sort of white glove thing doesn't mainly feel like the right thing to be doing right now because there's so many people that are unemployed and need help. Let's take all our learnings from help, you know, all the templates that we've built, all these things to like streamline our, our time and let's package it up like in a course and do cohorts so we can serve more people. And then that was when we launched a thing called Career Assist. And we would we basically ran like a job search boot camp, and we would teach people how to job search. That's incredible. So, the, if COVID didn't hit, do you think you were going to continue on with this kind of white glove concierge thing, or was that always just to kind of get some uh, learnings from what was happening in the market? We probably would have gone on longer than we should have because what we were seeing was that there was like that was like a viable business, but it goes back to this: we were doing too much for people. And they need to be invested in the process. So we started to see this kind of bifurcation between our users, the folks that we were just like slightly assisting and they were almost using us like virtual assistants and they were landing jobs fast. Like they were sourcing companies. They knew what they wanted to do. They were running and we were augmenting them and helping them. But from a business perspective, not great because they were gone like in 30 days. And the idea was always to be with you from the day you start working to the day you retire. But that was going to like, really truncate the job search process for people. And then there was the folks where the job search just wasn't ending. Every job we would source for them, like, that's not good. That's not right. That's not what I want. And we were put in a, in a tricky spot because I'm not sure that there was much we could do to help them. And that didn't feel like a fun business either. You know, that like, sure, they'll be on for a while paying us a good subscription, but it's like, we're not really helping them. And so it's like, they need to take ownership of the process and what can we do to help them do that? So it was about time to kind of, we had learned what we needed to learn and it was about time to sort of shut that down for a little bit so that people could do it on their own, automate it, you know, figure out what things we could do to make it easier for them so they could feel more involved in the process. So it was like a good MVP prototype 
sort yeah. of concierge product. But it was, we, I mean, I'd say, you know, I said, I said at the time, like for the product, COVID was um, a positive because it was about time to shut it down. And it would have been hard to do this because we were helping people and we would have been like on the hamster wheel. So I, I think it ran for just about the right amount of time. So what is Teal now and how can job seekers take advantage of it, of the tool? So Teal is a platform to help people track and manage their job search, right? Long-term, we want to be with people from the day they start working to the day they retire to make more career decisions with confidence. A lot of things actually look like a job search when you abstract them, you know, seeking a promotion is essentially Mm -hmm. a search. Doing an internal, you know, search for a role is essentially a search, but you know, we're really focused on that moment. Well, it's actually a blurry line, but anyways, from the moment someone decides they want to make a change to when they start that new job, that first part has a wide range of difference, whether someone's a career pivoter, which through Teal, I've developed much higher empathy for pivoters as someone who's just sort of like willy nilly changed career stuff and just kind of like plowed forward. I didn't really have much empathy for pivoters, but now I understand pivoters much, much better because I run a lot of job search groups myself. I ran a lot of the courses myself and it's different helping people think through that process versus someone who knows what they want to do and just like goes out and gets it. So we have, we have content that we've made. We digitized all our classes. We had it. So that's all there. We've got a bunch of like templates and tools, but really the core of it is this job tracker, which, you know, for anyone who's been in sales and marketing looks a lot like a CRM. Most folks might not even know what a CRM is, but we're really trying to make it easy for people to to treat it like a process. Because at the end of the day, job searching is a process. And it looks a lot like fundraising. It looks a lot like sales. It's a process. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with that process, but you got to fill the funnel. So we make it really easy to fill the funnel. We got a Chrome extension that really is meant to be this companion that's with you all the time helps you make better decisions and helps you go to all the job boards. Cause you know, there's the niche job boards, especially like you guys are really wonderful, but it also speaks to just like how fragmented that industry is. Yeah. And you got to go to a lot of places to like really own your job, your job search. So that's kind of where, where it starts. And then we give them a process. You know, some people make a spreadsheet, but then they have to think about like, what do I name the statuses? What fields, what columns? It's like, look, we've thought about all that for you. It's super purpose built tracks every step of the way. And then we have these like micro apps in it. So you can add contacts, add notes. And what we're doing is making it smarter and smarter. Like time is what we're seeing as people's most limited resource. So how do we give them time back? What are the things that we can do that, you know, just this week, we're going to be launching a feature where I don't need to go check if the job was taken down. We're just going to check it every day for you because there's no feedback in the job search process. And then you find out you got ghosted, you go and you sort of refresh. It looks down. It's like, oh, that's really disappointing. So let's like, we want like, our goal right now, I'd say from a aspiration perspective is like, let's make job search not suck. And then the next is like, let's make it fun because it really can be, it's a time for you to take control and be in the driver's seat. But you know, the leverage is a little off, but I think if we can equip people with the data, the infrastructure, the tooling, that'll then give them the confidence, which is ultimately like the secret weapon to job searching is having confidence because that's how you yeah. show up better in the interview. That's how you ask for what you want in the, in the comp negotiation So giving people that infrastructure and tooling. And then lastly, the community, right? There's a big community component to what we do with helping, helping each other. Communities in in job search are complicated because, you know, there's people feel like it's competitive and things like that, but we're seeing people ultimately do help each other. And they see that rising tides lift all ships. Since Teal has started and and from doing your MVP where you were doing the uh, white glove concierge, what are some of the biggest mistakes, pitfalls that job seekers are making 
And what are the ways to avoid that? So number one for me is when people won't commit, they sort of signal to the market as a generalist. And what I tell people is like, look, generally people don't, most often people don't want to hire generalists. That doesn't mean you can't be a generalist once you, once you're in, but when you're in the application process, you, I don't like to speak in absolutes, but a lot of times you're better off presenting as a specialist because a company has a very specific need. They have a very specific gap in abilities and they've written a job description that says, this is what we want. And what a lot of people do is they come in and say, look at all these amazing things I do because they are assuming the company is going to give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, well, they did that one thing 10 years ago, check. They did that thing five years ago, check. Oh, look at that. They check all the boxes. I got this like amazing jack of all trades. That's not true. What people say is like, wow, this person's not focused. They're like probably mediocre at all of it. And so Interesting. the most unobvious thing that I tell people is like, you need to present 10% of yourself, not a hundred, like present the 10% of yourself that is a hundred percent match for what they want. Yeah. And then people have better luck and like better success. And that goes toward tailoring depending on the opportunity that you're applying for. So kind of an example for this, if you were a social media manager, but you can also do some graphic design and you can also create some content and content marketing, and maybe you can write blogs instead of saying, Hey, look, I can do all this. If the opportunity is saying, Hey, we just want a social media manager, then you really highlight those skills that you have and the experience that you have in that space. hundred percent. If you can recontextualize some of it, like, look, I know Canva and I can make the creative for social. Mm -hmm. That might be helpful, but just like, I know Photoshop or I know Canva, I know Figma. I dabble. I took a graphic design class at general assembly. It's like this person, which, which 99% of us are that, right? We all like to learn. We all like to try different things. But the hiring process is about risk management and not letting someone go and it not working out is it's a knock on identity of the hiring manager. It's complicated for the company. You lose time. It's super costly. So companies really want, yeah, you know, I say often like companies want to hire you for what you did, not what you want to do. They want to know that like they want to de-risk it, that you're good. So it's like you do exactly what I'm looking for. And that 99.9% .9 of the time, once the person starts the job, they do something totally different. But in the job search process, in the sales process, you need to present as the solution to their problem. And I think for a lot of people, they feel like they're losing a piece of themselves because they're not saying all the cool things they do, but it's counterintuitive. It actually hurts them. Unless the opportunity specifically says we're looking for a generalist, right? Which could be in the case of a, it's a small, it's a really kind of small team. And they want someone that can wear uh, multiple hats, but even still, I would sort of talk about it in terms of like a major and a minor. Yeah. That's like, this is what you can count on me for sure, where I'm really good at. I have experience and then, yeah, I can dabble in these other things, but you know, someone's like, Hey, so, you know, what can you do? Like, I don't know. I can do a little bit of everything. You know, I can help with this. I can help with that. And it's like, I don't even know how to manage that. It's like, I have these very specific tasks. I, I want to get someone who's good, who I know is good at this thing. And so I think that they can be, again, unless, you know, the core of it is like present as the solution to their problem. So if their problem is they need someone, a jack of all trades and present as a jack of all trades, but that's hardly ever the case. I, 
I think you had tweeted this, that we're moving into the kind of the biggest career migration over the next couple of years. So it, it's a hot market. With your experience of running a team of 4,000 people being a hiring manager and from what you're seeing now at, at Teal, has there been any kind of creative ways for applicants to stand out when they are applying? So I think that there's a, what happens like with all things like social is you see like the one-off thing that like went viral and you think that worked for everybody. Those are really rare. And so like we had a member who who did her resume for an internship in like a Spotify branding. Uh, I saw that. Yep. And it was awesome. But I honestly can't like in good conscience recommend that other people do it. You could try, you know, she just sort of like posted it on Twitter and said like F it. And it went viral. It got some like 200,000 likes and it was amazing. Uh, and it was super cool. And she cool. did get a position with him to, as well, She didn't did. She? she got the internship at Spotify. It was awesome. Yeah. But I kind of think that's like winning the lottery. Yeah. You know, so if you got the time, try it. And she did it and she like, she, she nailed it perfectly. Just like all the stars aligned and it was awesome. Yeah. And she also got the job because she's, she's awesome. Like she interviewed well, she did the work, you know, she put herself out there. And so I think she manufactured luck in that sense because she could have not done it and then definitely wouldn't have happened. So, but I think it's, you got to do the work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you got to do the work and you got to not take it personal. So you got to like find that hiring manager's contact info online. You could try to apply online, but you know, everyone knows it's the least effective way to get in. So you got to apply online, but then you got to see, do you know somebody at the company that can refer you? Do, can you find the hiring manager's email address? You know, are they active on Twitter? Slide into their DMs. You know, you got to be persistent and, and you got to have a compelling pitch and that's how you're going to stand out. So engage, I think, you know, engage and converse with them online on, on social media, you know, talk to them on uh, LinkedIn, do informational interviews. It's like, you know, people want like Matt silver bullets, but there are no silver bullets. It's, it's hard work and being deliberate. You got to do the work. So once you've applied to something, you've applied for a position and maybe you've been, you, you've been doing that work. You've been reaching out to different um, contacts at the company that you just applied for. Is there anything else that applicants should be doing once they've applied versus just sit back and cross their fingers and hope, hope an interview comes in? No, they should not do that. Not just sit right. and hope there. There's a lot they could do. You know, there is, well, one, if you didn't get referrals before, you can still get them after, right? So if you know anybody, you know, you emailed a friend, they didn't get back to you. You had to get your application in. They gave the email you after. It's like, hey, look, I applied. Do you know the hiring manager? So whatever sort of Intel back channel you can get, get it. Yeah. Right? If you know who the hiring manager is and you have a friend in common, hey, can you text the hiring manager and let them know I applied? You know, let them know, you know, so you can do those things. You can definitely follow up. You can email HR. You can, you know, then email the hiring manager directly and say, hey, I applied for this position. I'm super excited about it. Here's a little bit more about me that maybe it didn't get to you because you never know. Maybe a recruiter will screen you out. But if you're on the hiring manager's radar, they might look for you directly and just keep at it. You know, a lot of companies might pass on you the first time. But if you're really excited about a company, keep trying and don't give up. You touched on it about doing the work, which which brings up another tweet, actually, I think you just did the other day where you talked about kind of this rise of anti-career advice and how it's doing a disservice for professionals who, who want to get ahead. Can you elaborate on what you meant by that a little more? Yeah, I'm going to try not to get myself in trouble. We're living in a complicated time. And 
something that I see, you know, this just could be like what was instilled in me as I grow up, as I grew up. And there's some great quotes from Andy Grove about it. But this idea, like I've seen some people say like, well, if I work for a company, I only put 40 hours a week. But if I was working for myself, I'd work 60. And I think what people don't realize is you always work for yourself. Even though there is a company if you were a consultant, what's the difference? You've just chosen to work under a, a commercial agreement called a salary instead of a contract. But there's something when people engage in commercial arrangement called a salary where they just, it becomes this us against them thing. Um, or it's like, uh, that, that's my time. You're taking my time. And at the end of the day, it's all your time. It's how you choose to use it and how you think about that investment. And if you put that hourly rate on your time as like the thing, well, you're actually selling yourself short, right? So, you know, there was a, a very controversial tweet the other day about, you know, work, you know, un, unpopular opinion, work on the weekends. And I, I don't personally, if you want to work on the weekends, great. If you don't, don't, right? I think when employers force you to work on the weekends, I think that's when it becomes problematic. But if someone wants to work on the weekend, hey, as far as I'm concerned, that's okay. Look, don't burn yourself out. Be mindful. But I think it takes hard work to achieve things. And sure, you can be really efficient and diligent with your time. And ideally, if you could do that in 40 hours, that's awesome. You know, but also they don't, I, I think there's a, you know, there, there's a bit of a reaction to like the hustle culture, which I, I, I agree, I find obnoxious. But we also, I, I, I'm worried that the like, shaming of working hard and like ambition is not great, right? Like mm -hmm. ambition is what's led a lot of the innovations that we have. And, and it, it makes me a little sad that there's like a bit of a shaming for having ambition. And I understand like what's conflated in there is like showboating and, and arrogance, which those things aren't great, but there is in my belief room for like humble ambition. And, and I don't know, just like, with social media now, everyone can put something out and you know, maybe they're followed, maybe they're not followed, but I guess everything sort of needs and it's, it depends, Yeah. but that's not great to get reactions and likes on social media. So you got to kind of put something that has an extreme reaction. And so if you soften everything, which is, you know, it's part of what I end up doing, it's like, no one has an extreme reaction to anything, which maybe not great for marketing, but I just, it concerns me when there's these people putting out advice, like, Hey, you know, don't work hard or, you know, don't, don't worry about building an identity. If it's like, look, if that's not right for you, don't, but it is objectively good, right? Like now some, for some people, it might be really stressful. That's cool. Maybe find another way to do it. But having a personal brand is something that no one can take away from you. That is an annuity that you can have for the rest of your life. That is objectively good, right? And, and that is something that you can sort of get value from for the rest of your life. So if it's not for you, that's cool. But like, don't call it out as something like that's not, you know, right. no, it's a good thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So if you are like seeing some of those perspectives, Hey, it's like, you know, having that balance of knowing when you are being pushed to the limits and it's not healthy for your mental state or your physical state. But also, you know, if you're seeing some of these perspectives, understand that maybe they are looking for that kind of reaction <laughs> as well uh, on these platforms. They're looking for the reaction. And it's really what I would say is like self-advice. Like they're talking to themselves, but they're mm -hmm. putting it out mm -hmm. there. 
Yeah. And like looking for validation potentially on, they're looking for validation is not the right word. They're looking for camaraderie, right? Like in this, in this feeling, this intense feeling they're having that like, ah, I got to like work hard to make it. I wish that right. wasn't the case. I'm going to put it out there. And of course there's other people that feel that way, but right. the majority of the people that like make it, whatever that means for a person, right? Cause that's obviously you can totally define what make it means. It's different. And, um, for some people like me, I got to work on the weekends. I have two kids. I take them to school in the morning. I try to bathe them and put them to bed at night. I don't have the luxury of not working on the weekends. And so like this, like need to, to speak in absolutes. And it's like, man, am I, what's wrong with me? I have to, I, like, am I that inefficient and ineffective that I have to work on the weekends? Well, no, it's not. It's like, I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good husband. You know, I'm trying to be present with my family. So yeah, occasionally I work on the weekends. Don't make me feel bad about it. (laughs) Talking about the personal brand, if someone is currently employed, they're okay with their position, maybe not looking to do a move just yet. You were mentioning Teal is, you know, for your whole career, right up to retirement. What should you be doing as a professional to build your personal brand so that you can have, you know, the best chance for when you do go for a promotion or for another position at another company, what are some things that folks should be thinking about? So it goes back to what I said earlier, Again, this may not be for everyone. I don't want to like, I, I think if we think about it as marketing, right? If my goal is to build this annuity that can keep giving, I think it's establishing a personal brand around an expertise of some sort. Mm-hmm. So when someone thinks about a category, they come to me for that category. Right? Cause if I'm just talking about a whole lot of different things, I'm not going to really stand out. Yeah. And if you want to be like the generalist, that is some sort of polymath that talks about a whole bunch of stuff. Okay, cool. Well, maybe that's the way you stand out and, and knowing that about yourself. But, you know, I think helping others is at the core of it, you know, putting stuff out there that like educates and helps. And the more that it, I think it's easier to build an audience the more like focused and specific you are on the topic. Again, that's not for everyone. Some people really want to jump around and try a lot of different things, which is awesome. That's cool. And maybe they want to like document that process and just like build a whole lot of things in public. That's cool. And maybe that's kind of the brand you build for yourself as someone that like iterates and is trying different things all the time and like weaves it together. There's this great book called Range. It's kind of like, you know, talks about more that way. But then there's the flip side, which I'd say is Angela Duckworth's both grit, uh, which is like, you know, focus on one thing, (laughs) you know, or like, you know, persevere and like, you know, don't give up so quickly on other things. So I just think that at the core of it, like know yourself, know what works for you, know what energizes you, where you can like get into states of flow. You know, I'm a person who is a little more like ADD and I can't like sit and work on the same things for eight hours. Uh, And I think through speaking. So I'm like, you know, I want to do a podcast instead of writing because it's just like not a good medium for me. I could say, you know what? Writing is a core skill. You're going to have to learn how to do it. And I can just like muscle through it. Or I could say, that's just not going to be pleasant. So let me go do the thing that I enjoy doing and that I think I'm naturally disposed to doing a better job at. Same with the platform as well, where you're sharing your voice, right? Like there's multiple places to do it. Find the platform that works for you and where your audience is, whether that's LinkedIn, Twitter, whether you are a good writer, you want to start your own blog or, or your own podcast, kind of work out where, you know, the best place to, to do that. hundred percent. I think that's a great call out, right? Cause a lot of people feel the pressure. I got I got to start a newsletter. Like everyone who's like sharp has a newsletter. It's like, if you like writing, start a newsletter. If you sort of like discussing things in short form, use Twitter threads. What, 
what I see online, which is what I think I'm re- I was reacting to, is that like people being critical of things because they're uncomfortable with it. And it's like, because you're uncomfortable, face the discomfort. Don't mm-hmm. make others feel bad so that you can feel good. Right. So it's like people start to pick on threads and like, well, that just could have been a blog. Well, you know what? Who cares? Maybe yeah, like for me in particular, a blog is hard, but like stringing together six you know, loosely jointed ideas in 240 characters or 280 is much easier. And then I can actually turn that into a blog sometimes. And it's a process for me, but I don't, I don't know. We're just like, I don't know, because everyone's got the microphone now, like I'm becoming increasingly sensitive to like the hypercriticality of just existing online today, which just makes everyone have a thicker skin, which maybe that's good, but I don't know. I, I wish we just didn't have to. I'm seeing a theme with the job seekers that I talk to in the good gigs community where they actively doing the job search. Common question I ask them is if have they done any proactive outreach to companies that they do want to work with, even though they're not advertising a particular position for them at the moment. Most of the time they haven't. They haven't done any of that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Should they be doing this kind of proactive outreach to potential companies that they want to work with? Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of roles get created that way. Now, I wouldn't just do it because I want to do it. So I, we work, I led growth. A big part of what I did was sales and, and built helping you know with another leader there, Nick Warswick. We built out a sales organization. I got to learn about like the proper sales mechanics. I did do sales at Case, but I was completely self-taught. And the thing about sales and like the effectiveness of sales is when to approach. And so if I just find my dream company, it's like, oh boy, I'm just going to write some random person and see if they're hiring. Maybe, or you could draft off activity that's already existing, right? When, if, especially if you want to work in tech and startups, there's funding. What do companies do with their funding? They hire people and they may not have all the recs written up yet. They may not know what they're going to do, but I would monitor funding announcements, you know, go on Crunchbase, go on Angel Co, go on PitchBook. You know, I tell people, think like a VC. I actually wrote a, a blog post about it. Like, let's look, follow VCs because the good thing about using VCs is they've got a thesis. At least a lot of them do, not all of them, but you know, if they, in, they invest in social good or they invest in climate tech or FinTech or health tech or whatever, you know, D to C and there's brands that I like there. Well, they've already done a lot of the selection for me. They're betting with their dollars that this thing's going to be great. I'm betting with my yeah. time that it's going to grow my career. So let me start to follow some VCs and see the investments they're making. And then as soon as, you know, one, I can either build rapports with the VCs and they can intro me or two, as soon as those companies raise money, I can be like, Hey, awesome. Super glad that you raised money. I think you're going to do some incredible things with it. And I'd love to be a part of it. Is there a way for us to, you know, work together? And you could be making those connections beforehand as well. Right. So it doesn't, you know, the press release does, goes out that they raised a bunch of money and then <laughs> they no doubt are going to be getting hit up by a whole bunch of people. But maybe if you've, you've dug the well before you're thirsty, you could be in a better position. Which is something I don't see enough people doing with their career. And I, I want to acknowledge how hard it is, but I see it. Like as soon as people build up really good process, they, you know, they, they're like networking, they're doing a certain number of informational interviews a week, they're giving themselves goals. And then as soon as they land a job, Mm-hmm. like all those muscles atrophy. Right. And, and, and that's like, you shouldn't, it's hard. I get it. You want to now knock it out of the park in your job. You want to, you know, do great. You don't want to be thinking about in the job searching because it sucks. 
you know, and you don't like the uncertainty and, and we're all, I feel like inherently loyal. And there's something that feels kind of gross about like interviewing with other companies while I'm employed. I feel like I tell people you can't cheat on an employer, but it feels like they are, you know, have integrity, do your work. Don't take a whole week off and call it that you are working, take vacation you know, do the right things, but you can't cheat on an employer. You know, at the end of the day, you got to do the, what's right for you, do it well, maintain relationships, but there's nothing wrong with continuing to network. Even if it's just to like grow your career, do the occasional informational interview, you know, try to identify people that have the next title that you want to go after. But it's almost like when people land the job, they just like exhale and like, whoo, hope I never have to got do it. that again. It's like the sad <laughs> right. truth is like empirically you will do, unless you are like the one in a million, you're going to have to do it again. And if it's not in the context of a job search, fundraising, it's the same process. Right. You know, if you, you know, like, so these motions of like finding opportunities, pitching yourself, closing the opportunity, those are really good skills to have. So I, I, I tell people, it's like, don't let them atrophy. Make it a habit. Exactly. We've covered a whole bunch of topics. Dave, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would love to bring up? You know, stay consistent. Right. I think that that's the other thing is I think people start to get a little bit of traction and then they slow down. Like it's not over till it's over. And the worst thing that could happen is that you have multiple job offers and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So I see people like they get one or two callbacks, they stop applying and then, you know, they get kind of get and it's like, Oh, I got to ramp it up again. It's like, stay consistent. Give yourself a goal. Stay consistent. Just pace yourself, find a cadence you know, believe in the process and go like, if I'm going to apply to five jobs a week, okay, five jobs a week, go. Even if I don't love the fifth one, apply, keep going. If it's 10 a week, 10 a week, uh, 15 a week, like come up with the number, build your funnel. You know, so, you know, we tell people bookmark, that's a super low commitment. That's the other thing is I've seen like people really over process the idea of like applying to a job. It's almost like, well, if I'm not going to get it, I'm not going to apply. Or I, I might not even accept it, so I'm not going to apply. It's like, well, one, you're jumping to a whole lot of conclusions. But there's no risk in applying, right? And what I told someone this week is think about it as your information gathering process. You applying is just you filling out a form to learn more about the company. Maybe they get back to you, maybe they don't. But like really try hard to flip the dynamic because there's so much psychological tension in the job search. because You're just subjecting yourself to constant judgment, right? You are judging my resume. You are judging my LinkedIn. You are judging me 10 times in an interview. Then you are judging me if I ask for a you know, higher comp than you offered me, right? And then like, oh, and now I got to work with you. And so I'm super worried about managing my identity through this whole process. And then now we got to be friends. So it's complicated and it's hard, but try to treat it as this objective thing, mechanize it as much as you can and make it as unemotional as you can. Yeah. Where is the best place for job seekers to find Teal and sign up? Teal, like the color, hq.com. Just go there, sign up. It's 100% free. All our tools are free. The entire platform's free. We are determined to help as many job seekers as possible land jobs. And so, you know, it's there and we're adding more and more functionality every week. We're really trying to be this companion to help people make the best decisions possible in their job search. So tealhq.com. And I, I see on Twitter and each week it's nearly like you're launching something new. <laughs> the, the tools uh, and the resources you have are incredible. Dave, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your expertise and your advice. Awesome. Thanks so much for the invite. I'm, I'm super excited for what you guys are doing. I think helping people find 
you know, mission aligned jobs that are doing good, I think is absolutely critical. And then you see it, most of the data, people don't go to jobs or leave jobs for comp. They go because they want growth and they want to do things that matter. So it's incredible what you guys are doing. So super excited to support in whatever way I can. Okay, so if you're in the market for a new job, the first thing you've got to do is go over and sign up at Teal. The tools that he has for job seekers are just incredible. I especially love his job tracker where it's this little Chrome widget. As I'm sure you're aware, there's so many different job boards out there. So when you're looking for a job, you're going to so many different sites. The cool thing with this widget is that it doesn't matter what job site you're looking at, you can save every job that you're interested in and it goes back into the Teal dashboard. Also go follow Dave on Twitter. Every single day he is sharing some great insight into the job seeking process as well as being an entrepreneur. He is one of my favorite followers. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Uh, if you liked it, I'd love a rating and review. It always helps other listeners who are stumbling on this podcast, have never seen it and want to know what it's all about. So if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, leave a rating and review. I would love you so much and hit subscribe if you haven't yet. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Keep doing you and keep doing good.